Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. You've been hearing ads for Zencaster these past months. Interested in sponsoring this show or podcast ads for your business? Go to zen.ai forward slash the archaeology show and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 166. On today's show, we deep dive ancient surgery, including the methods, history, and examples in the archaeological record. Let's dig a little deeper into your skull. Welcome to the show, everyone. How you doing? Pretty good. We are on the Oregon coast. Yes, back the- back to our kind of old stomping grounds. We've been here many times. I know. Hopefully, if I get my crap together today, as you're listening to this, you can go to the Roadster Adventures Instagram page, R-O-D-S-T-E-R Instagram page, mm-hmm. and uh, see us pulling into my parents' house yeah. and having to cut half a tree down just to get yeah. the RV into its spot. Yeah, totally. We were here two, almost two years ago, yeah. and it is crazy how much the tree that we were parked right next to last time has grown. Not because, anymore. Yeah, no. Well, it was partially dead. It needed to come yeah, down. Yeah, those, so. those pieces had to go. Yeah, it was yeah. not like you were attacking the tree for no reason. No, no. But uh, luckily, we had ladders, and my dad has a chainsaw, and yep. it was easy to uh, take it down. So, yep. Speaking of brutal cutting methods, oh, <laughs> oh, tell me more. <laughs> so this is one of our expansion episodes. I can't remember what I actually called it, like deep tracks. Yeah, yeah. like deep dive. Right. Yeah, I like deep tracks though. Okay. So. A few episodes ago, we had a news episode, and one of the things we mentioned was a 5,300-year-old earliest known ear surgery. That was episode 161, and it was the skull of an elderly woman, if you remember. If you don't remember, it means you're not a listener of the show and you need to go back. (laughs) Yeah, just go back and listen to the episode. And And all the others. Sure, all those two. But for this one specifically, it would be good to go listen to our discussion of that particular article. And and while you're at it, check out the rest of the Archaeology Podcast Network (laughs) and spend six months of your life listening to our 4,000 episode back catalog. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Anyway, skull of an elderly woman. There was evidence of two surgeries. On both sides. On on both sides, yeah. Yeah. And she lived through it because there's evidence of healing, you know, and she probably lived a few years at the very least. Yeah. And we were just kind of blown away at the fact that this is 5,000 years ago. Yeah. She basically had surgery and survived. And the thing is, the reason it's surgery, of course, is that like it was intentional. Yeah, it like, was they, intentional. They literally scraped her head open. Yep. And they probably did use the scraping method, which we'll talk about later. Yep. But they scraped her head open to relieve pressure. Yep. And it worked. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like an ear infection sort of a right. thing. Like she had a, pro- I mean, probably they were speculating, but yeah. probably like an ear infection and they just needed to get in there and like yeah. relieve some kind of pressure. So, yeah. So we wanted to kind of use that article as a jumping off point to talk about 
a little bit of kind of the history of surgery and it's not really a history. There's a lot of different things like how do you define it stuff like that. But mm-hmm. we're just going to talk about other surgical events and different important things throughout time that we found. Yeah. And like how they're represented in the archaeological record. Sometimes it's not just the archaeological record. Sometimes it's also like historical written written record mm-hmm. as well, because, you know, for some cultures, we have that going back 2000 years or even more. Yeah. So there's some pretty good evidence of what people were doing. And it's really, really interesting. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So let's uh, let's get into this a little bit. We're, we're mostly talking about pretty old stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Surgery itself, as I wouldn't say as we know it today, but as it developed into what we know as today, mm-hmm. really kind of exploded onto the scene in about the 19th century. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, Somehow tied to barbers, which I just don't understand <laughs> that connection. England. Really? Yeah. I, it okay. was the barber surgeons and the, well, barbers and surgeons uh-huh. got together and joined and created like the Barber Surgeon Academy or something like that or License oh, Guild or something. Sure. Because like cutting hair and yeah. cutting into bodies. It's like the same thing, right? Right. Well, it's like, <laughs> I, this is kind of a, we're not supposed to talk about this yet, but we're starting the Archaeologist Hair Salon <laughs> Collective. <laughs> Basically, oh. because when you're when you're combing and cutting someone's hair, it's like troweling into an excavation unit. So we're just like, it's like let's, kind of the same thing. It's a natural fit. <laughs> so, no, I, I really we didn't dive into barber surgeons. I'm sure there's no, reasons there. Yeah. And I think if I had to guess, it has to do with they both do cuttings yeah. and have materials and things on the body. Right. Yeah. yeah. Also, somebody's already sitting in a chair and leaning back. You may as well drill into their head while you're, <laughs> you know, cutting their hair. So, wow. Yeah. But they didn't do like. The, the little bit of research I did do, the barber surgeons didn't do like like real like open you up surgery. Right. They did le- they did bloodletting through like leeches oh, and stuff. Oh, yeah. They did some trepanation. Right. They did some, you know, cutting a hole in your head. Mm-hmm. And they did, a, they did some stuff like that. So they kind of had to stay in their lane a little bit. But, you know, they did some things. But okay. Anyway... Before the the nineteenth century, and and not just barber surgeons, but around the world, mm-hmm. there wasn't really that much variation in what kind of surgeries were done. We've got prosthetics, we've got trepanation. It's all over the place because it's easy to drill into somebody's head, apparently, mm-hmm. and is it's actually a good fix for certain things. Mm-hmm. But you know, surgery in the way that we think about it today, like you know, really going in and understanding what the body looks like on the inside and yeah. knowing how to fix things and sewing stuff up internally and right. all that kind of stuff, just just wasn't huge. And one of the big reasons was infection is a real bitch. Yeah, like they might have tried to go in and and mess with things when somebody was sick or whatever, but it probably yeah. didn't end well because infection. Yeah, like what kind of evidence would we have of like early surgical tries? It would just look like a butchery incident. Right. And on all the soft tissue doesn't last anyway, so no. unless they saw it into somebody, yeah. like we just wouldn't even know it. Right. So anyway, some of the earliest signs of intentional what is being called surgery. I'd say anytime you're kind of like opening somebody up intentionally, mm-hmm. it's going to be called surgery, mm-hmm. right? So some of the earliest examples of that, at least that I was able to find, is around 16, uh, sorry, 6500 BCE. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, about what, 4,000, 4,000, uh, what, 8,500 years ago, yeah. give or yeah. take. That is so long. That is so long ago. The Ice Age was still very much a real thing here in North America. Yeah. Uh, it was retreating, the ice the ice was, but mm-hmm. there were massive lakes where there's now big cities. Yeah, totally. And people are drilling into people's heads. So it makes sense that this was happening probably in France and Europe yeah. rather than over here in North America. Right. Now, these early surgical pieces of evidence, let's call it, 
is it's all trepanation. Yeah. Drilling holes in your head. Yeah. And you want to know why? Because that preserves in the archaeological record. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. mean that was the first things they were doing. Somebody could have broken their arm and maybe uh, maybe a bone was like, I don't know, popped back into place and, and it was splinted or something. I, maybe not. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But that is something we actually should be able to see, a healed fracture. And we do kind of see certain things like that. But, but how did it get to that point? Did they just like splint it up and it healed that way? Or did somebody actually do something? I don't know. The point is... Like other forms of like soft tissue type surgery, just like wouldn't be evident in yeah, the archaeological. You're just record. not going to see that. It's just yeah. that unless that, it was written about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then we don't really have evidence of writing yet at that point. Right. So it, we're right. just not going to know about the things that they were doing to soft tissues. We just can't know. Yeah. Now a lot of stuff happened between that time and the next four thousand years. Yep. But like for example, a woman in France getting her you know skull drilled yeah, into. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But all kinds <laughs> of people getting their skulls drilled into. Yep. But also, we know for a fact that the science of surgery and medicine was definitely progressing because by 1750 BCE, the Code of Hammurabi was written down. This is a Babylonian code of laws and details regulating and governing surgeons, Mm -hmm. essentially. Medical malpractice, victims' compensation, all this stuff was mentioned in these laws. And for them in 1750 BCE to write down a code of laws about all these things means it was a problem. Yeah. You know, you only you only write down laws and codify things or codify things, I guess is the word, when when stuff's going wrong. Yeah. When when people are constantly going to the lawmakers like, look what this guy yeah. did to me, you know, compensation, compensation. That's when laws come into effect for sure. Exactly. And it must have been a big enough business at that point. I'm sure of it. To to require laws too. So well, and you gotta think too, like people were living in bigger and bigger cities back then uh, around mm-hmm. that time. And you know, you, you walk around a city today and you see guardrails, you see warning signs, you see all kinds of stuff. Willing to bet in ancient Babylonia, there was none of that. So a right. lot of people are hitting their heads on stuff. A lot of people are getting injured. Mm-hmm. You know, these kinds of regulations and safety measures that we have today just simply weren't around. Right. You know, so people are probably getting hurt a lot more. Over the next couple hundred years, uh, well, a couple hundred years later, again, another codification of Mm -hmm. laws and stuff, the Ebers Papyrus, and it's really just named after, I think, the first person who found it or or bought it or whatever. Ancient Egyptian medical treaty includes info on how to surgically treat crocodile bites. (laughs) Sure, because those are a big enough problem that we need to put it down on papyrus. (laughs) You know, it's it's a thing over there. Yeah. So... (laughs) So right. So Crocodile bites and serious burns. Yeah. Uh, when we were researching this, I told Rachel, I was like, I, I would legit want to print this out and just like <laughs> leave it in random places in Florida. <laughs> Here's what to do. <laughs> in case of emergency, brick papyrus. Right. All right. So another thousand years passes and we have somebody named uh, Sushruta. I think it was Indian. No. I can't remember, to be honest, 600 BCE, considered the founding father of surgery Mm -hmm. and did innovations in plastic surgery. And I even read um, rhinoplasty like nose jobs. No way. Really? (laughs) That long ago? Yeah. Wow. No, I don't know. Like Like how good they were? Yeah. Like, was it actually an improvement? (laughs) Right. Well, maybe it was for their their standards of beauty at the time. Who knows? Right. Would he just like use early anesthetic or alcohol and just like punch him in the face repeatedly said, (laughs) it's different now. So who knows? Yep. So progressing on, moving pretty quickly here because some of the histories I read are just covering sort of the highlights. Yeah. But 950 CE, we got 
Abulcasis, an Arab physician, considered among the greatest medieval surgeons, and he got his training from Greeks, okay. um, from studying Greek surgeons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Moving up to 1363 CE, Guy de Chuliac, a French surgeon, writes the um, Chir- Chirurgia Magna. It means great surgery. Okay. Uh, standard text for surgeons until the 17th century. It standard, okay. stood for a long time. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, you had the English barbers and surgeons uniting in 1540, performing both tooth extractions and bloodletting and stuff like oh, that. Oh, so it's like dentistry, too. It's kind of like all of sure. it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. We're going to have to see if our, our uh, brother-in-law can do some bloodletting next time we're out there <laughs> as he's pulling teeth. Right. And then 1630, William Fabry, the father of German surgery, first to employ amputation as a treatment oh. for gangrene. I don't know if, Cut I mean, it off. I treatment, mean, I guess, but it's kind of a well, last resort. Well, I mean, gangrene will kill you, so, yeah. you know, cut it off to stop it from spreading. I guess it makes sense. Indeed. And they, you know, it's, it seems so, like, barbarous to... Barbarous? Like barbers? No, like barbaric <laughs> <laughs> to to just chop off a limb. But mm-hmm. I suppose they probably learned through trial and error that like they could seal up a wound from an amputated limb better yeah. than, you know, stopping the gangrene from spreading. So yeah. cool that they got there. There's another cool thing that I apparently didn't take any notes about, but it is in our show notes called mm-hmm. the Edwin Edwin Smith Papyrus. Oh. And the Edwin Smith Papyrus is pretty cool. It's a something like a 70 foot long uh, scroll or something written on both sides in Egyptian heretic uh, heretic, I think it was called, oh, yeah. which is uh-huh. like, which is like a script version of um, writing hieroglyphs, uh-huh. which is crazy to me. Yeah. But it's anyway, like taking the pictures and turning it into a script. Essentially, a, li- a little right? bit, but the pictures are still there. Oh, okay. Like you're, you're okay. leaning, to, you're, you're you're moving from straight pictures, which uh-huh. are more used in, in religious and like uh, inscriptions okay. on walls and stuff. It was uh-huh. kind of a more formal way of of doing things, or had its own purposes. Okay. But anyway, you're, this system of writing uh, is not really the point of the story, right? <laughs> but it does help kind of date it, though. Yeah. But it was it was basically a surgical text on, you know, understanding the body and inside and really like organs and I mean a really early That is very early. Yeah, example yeah. of doing all this stuff. Yeah. So and Edward Smith is basically the guy that bought this thing back in the late eighteen. I 1800s. was gonna say it doesn't sound like yeah. an Egyptian name. But I guess it makes sense. That yeah, it would the, be uh, the Pharaoh the- Edwin Smith <laughs> actually lived. So no, it makes sense that it would be a, yeah. a British guy who you know probably illegally acquired said papyrus yeah. that would have his name attached to it. So yeah, sure, that makes sense. Indeed. Yep. So you know, for the rest of this podcast, we're going to talk about in segment two some surgical methods and practices, and then in segment three, we're going to talk about some actual examples and other things, some 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 real specific things about mm-hmm. surgery. Like so, in the archaeological record, like where yeah. we've seen it. Yeah. yeah. And I know you're probably thinking, man, I need more articles like I need a hole in the head. But oh, uh oh. On the other side of this break, we're literally going to talk about holes in the head. Back in a minute. Spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusion supply. See store or jcp.com for details. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot 
for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Chris Webster here from the APN. You've heard me talk about Zencaster for a few months now, and there's never been a better time to check this out and start a podcast. Zencaster has hosting tools and both audio and video podcasting capability. Many of you have already clicked on the link in the show notes, and we thank you for that. Use the code TAS, that's T-A-S, at the link in the show notes, or go to Zencaster.com and use the code, that's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com, to get 30% off your first three months. Again, use the code TAS for 30% off your first three months at Zencaster.com. Welcome back to episode 166 of the Archaeology Show. And we are moving to some of the actual surgical methods and practices that we found evidence for while we were doing our research. Yeah. And there's not that many of them, obviously. Like we said in segment one, surgery we're not going to see what people do to the soft tissues. Like there's just no way for that to be preserved in the archeological record. So it's what people were doing to the bones. That's yeah. really the only thing that we can have evidence for. So as we mentioned already, trepanation or trephination, depending on. Trephination. I didn't see that one. Yeah. There's like some weirdness with that word and like the origins of it. And it seems like trepanation is the most commonly used one, but you might hmm. see trephination as well. We'll just use trepanation for this discussion. One thing I did notice is that people that have had trepanation on them are called trepanned patients. Yeah. they. Yeah. 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 I, know, I saw that in an article somewhere. Yep. Yeah, yeah I saw that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's trepanate this bitch. <laughs> so trepanation would be the most common practice, surgical practice that we would see in the archaeological record. And this is, of course, cutting a purposeful hole in the skull. And there's lots of medical reasons why they would have done that mostly around relieving pressure from a head injury, sometimes removing small skull fragments. Like if there was some kind of like blunt force trauma mm -hmm. situation and there were skull fragments in there they needed to get out, they might cut a hole to help them do that. Drainage is another reason they might. And then also I read Egypt specifically migraine relief. Like you've got like such a terrible pain in your head that they think that maybe like oh, drilling a hole in it will help. I'm not like really to sure. To just focus the pain somewhere else maybe? <laughs> Maybe, I think I don't breaking know. your arm would also, you know, <laughs> like fix the that. pain away. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm not really sure how well that these things that trepanation worked for these problems mm -hmm. and issues. It must have worked well enough though, because we see it all throughout history and all throughout the world and in different cultures. So yeah, anyway. and of course, there's some a little bit of woo involved in <laughs> yeah. Well, these things you have to sort of forgive ancient peoples for not really understanding what caused the problems that they were seeing right in their bodies. But there could be some like spiritual reasons like releasing bad spirits or evil vapors or bad humors or something like that. That would be another reason they would drill holes. I usually get bad humor when I release the spirits from the bottle. <laughs> yeah. That was a bad joke. Yeah. We'll talk about the humors thing um, later on in this segment, but it, yeah. is a, it was a big part of medical history, basically. Mm -hmm. So also another reason they might have done trepanation on a person was to treat mental illness or epilepsy that practice mostly stopped by the 1700s i think because they realized that people were not getting would, cured no like it wasn't making them less mentally ill it wasn't stopping the epilepsy so right. it was like 
a group of people tried that for a while, medieval times-ish, and then it just like didn't work, so it sort of faded away. Well, as far as mental illness goes, too, like, sure, that's a broad class of, of illness and disease, but like it's thousands of things. Oh, so, yeah. So maybe drilling a hole in your head might might actually cure somebody of something. You know what? It actually could because yeah. mental illness could be, because it's such a broad term, like you said, it could be mm-hmm. it could be caused by some kind of pressure in the brain that would then sure. cure it. So I, I think there's a lot of like vague practice and behavior around mm-hmm. around that. So, you know, it's like taking a shot in the dark, a lot of what they were doing yeah. in, you know, before we had more more and better knowledge about medicine. I'd rather take a shot than a, you know. Hold of the skull. <laughs> so. Depends on the kind of shot. Is it just, is it trepidation when it's just a hole in the head? Because what would it be called if I'm sure people had infections or something happened on other parts of their body where you have a, a like you can see a swelling up and maybe they thought puncturing that would have been a good idea. Is trepidation the act well, of drilling or is it just like drilling into the head? I wonder. I actually I don't think know it's, that. It's just drilling into the head because... Yeah. It the skull is the only enclosed thing in mm-hmm. like skull thing that you can drill into, you know, yeah. that has something inside of it. Yeah. Everything else, it's like a long, it's like a larger piece of bone, you know. Yeah, I'm yeah. not sure if I'm explaining that very well, but yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So the practice of trepanation it it occurred worldwide from the Neolithic period, as we discussed previously, and then practically all the way up until today to modern times. There are some African cultures that that have you know, very recently been mm-hmm. performing trepanations. So I mean, if it still works, you don't have access to other medical care. Yeah. And if it's something that maybe you have a lot of different reasons for doing it, like we mentioned earlier, so it could be a spiritual thing rather mm-hmm. than a medical thing. So yeah. lots of reasons people are doing it. Yeah. Some of the earliest writings about this are from the Greek, mm-hmm. uh, like the Hippocratic, Hippocratic work titles on wounds in the head. I love that title. <laughs> I know. Great title. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then there's also a Chinese legend, like an ancient Chinese legend that refers to a technique that sounds kind of like drilling into a mm-hmm. head, but it's a legend and not a medical text. And also like the guy in the, the legend who performed it had like a really bad end where the trepanation didn't work and he was yeah. executed kind of a situation. Right. So it's really unclear if that's a legend or if it was a thing that really happened. Imagining it wasn't actually written down, it was just... Like in images on a plate. That's <laughs> how we know about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So trepanation, it was used all through Neolithic and then into, you know, medieval times up up until the 1800s, right? But, but when medicine started moving into hospitals, it, it kind of stopped for a little while. And this mm-hmm. is because of the risk of infection. And if you think about it, it makes sense. You know, you're opening up a hole in somebody's skull and then they move into a hospital where there's all kinds of other sick people and viruses and things around. And then they're getting infections or I guess bacteria, not viruses, but they're getting infections and and people were dying from the act. So they kind of stopped doing it. Now, it comes back into play in modern medicine when you have a sterile environment. But until that happens in the 1900s, it kind of just sort of stopped. I think we also talked about, too how hospitals themselves kind of became like a den of infection because they didn't really understand what was causing all that stuff and they're bringing all these sick people into one place and not really understanding the impacts of doing that yet. Yeah, absolutely. So so let's talk about the different types of trepanation really quick. Mm. There is the rectangular style, which would be like cross, like square cuts. And they, they usually like intersect at the corners and go past each other. Yeah. And that one is seen specifically in Peruvian skulls. Mm. Then there is my personal favorite, 
scraping. And they would literally take something sharp, like it could be like a like a scraper, yeah. like an actual scraper, and like yeah. scrape away. I'm sure they cut the skin away, but then they just scrape away the bone, just scrape, 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 and it could take like Man. like like hours to do it that way. Oh, seems so terrible. <laughs> There's the board hole, which is kind of like taking a. I think it's called a crown saw, right? Where there's like a hole and it, mm-hmm. it bores a hole straight into the skull. You just have to be very careful not to hit the the brain underneath. Yeah. And then the final one is a circle of drilled circles, basically. So you go boop, 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 yeah. boop, 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 all the way around in a circle and then you can pop the, the piece yeah. of skull out. Now, keep in mind when somebody's getting this done, they're probably doing it like where there's a massive pressure or trauma already. Yeah. The pain involved in this. Oh, I can't even imagine. Now, it, it might be actually beneficial if somebody like passes out from the pain. Oh, I hope they did. I, yeah, I sincerely hope that anybody who had to experience yeah. this passed out or was given enough alcohol to pass out or something. I don't know. Because mm-hmm. they didn't really have anesthetic for most of the time that these were being done. So, yeah. oh, yeah. gosh. All right. Well, moving on from trepanation. Let's just talk quickly about a couple of other things that we know about that people were doing. Mm-hmm. One of them would be bloodletting. and Sounds fun. Yeah. I mean, I think that people, this is a pretty well-known historical technique for dealing with issues. And I put it into the surgery category just because you do have to cut into the body. Mm-hmm. We don't really have evidence of it so much in the archaeological record because this would be into the soft tissues. So we're really relying on like written accounts of yeah. it. We don't really know exactly when it began, but they, the thought is probably in Egypt. But the first written accounts are by the Greeks. I wonder why they think it started in Egypt first. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It might be because of the influential physicians like Hippocrates and Galen, who are the ones who like were, were talking about using it in these Greek mm-hmm. texts. And they maintained that the human body was filled with four basic substances or humors, like we mentioned earlier. This would be yellow bile, black bile, phlegm, and blood. And to have proper health, you, these needed to be kept in balance, essentially. It's not entirely wrong. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a little... There, there's there's some stuff wrong there, but, yeah. you know, balance is, is key. Like, I guess with a body, you need to have everything in balance in yeah. order to work properly. They just didn't know the different pieces and how they fit together. So they created this four humors idea mm-hmm. to... to yeah. And that's where bloodletting comes in. Make a cut in the body or use mm-hmm. leeches or something like that to basically, you know, you got too much blood. Yeah. You got to take some of this out. Well, I think they thought that the humors were like in with the blood sometimes and like weren't visible. So like when you're mm-hmm. letting blood out, you're letting out other things too. It's Or maybe you're, you maybe they somehow through some medical deductive reasoning said that you have less of something else, one of the other humors. Oh, yeah. And reduce the blood to bring that back to into balance. To bring it balance. back into balance. Yeah. I mean, maybe. not realizing your body's just going to like make more. <laughs> right. So. <laughs> yeah. And they would do that by cutting or with leeches, depending yeah. on the, t- the place and the time and, and whatever. So. Now, that practice mostly stopped by the 19th century because I think they basically Mm -hmm. realized it did nothing. And actually, if they didn't take a lot of care with the cuts, they could cause somebody to like fully bleed out. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that mostly stopped. Now, the other interesting thing, and we do see this in the archaeological record, is bone setting. Mm. And there are examples of healed fractures that must have been set and splinted in order to heal the way that we see them healed in, in the bones. Yeah. And so that's really cool. And there's evidence of it around the world, basically similar to trepanation. We see evidence of bone setting, 
But there's one really cool one, and I'll read a quote here. It's from a Spanish text that they encountered Aztecs that treated broken bones by reduction. Hmm. And here's the quote. The the broken bone had to be splinted, extended, and adjusted. And if this was not sufficient, an incision was made at the end of the bone and a branch of fur was inserted into the cavity of the medulla. That sounds gross. I know, right? So, like, they they would recognize that the bone needed to be basically, like, cut almost. Probably whatever jagged edges there were. And then if it wasn't the right length, they would you know, put a piece of wood in there to help stabilize it, which Mm. I don't even know how that would have properly worked. But anyway, that's just really cool that the Aztecs were doing this that long ago. That is super crazy. Yeah. I I don't even know what to say on that. (laughs) Yeah. Some of the things, and it makes me wonder too, you know, if we can bring all this together with an episode we had not too long ago that uh, chilled me to my core, although I knew it was true. Um, You think of any of these bad trepanation examples where it just didn't go so well? Because I'm sure for every one Mm -hmm. where they're like, hey, thanks for leaving the pressure. Yeah. The patient just like died. died, But now they've got a hole in their head and you're looking at that brain and they're like, well... Like, John's dead, but we've got this leather that needs tanning over no, here. No, 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 so no. So we just scoop out his no, brains? No, 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 Because no. we don't have any moose left. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> Terrible. I don't think I don't think that it would inspire cannibalistic behavior, basically. Yeah, well, I guess they right. weren't eating it, but well, well, anyway, no. If they did live, as we mentioned, they had to cover it with something. And sometimes you just put a little window in there with like a metal plate that maybe can be removed like your little cyborg. <laughs> Let's talk about that on the other side of the break. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Want to keep this conversation going? Want to talk to the hosts of this show and other fans? Then join our membership program and get exclusive access to the hosts, other fans, and early access to these episodes and bonus segments and content. You'll also get forever access to our live show back catalog and any other shows ad-free. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash members for details. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. Welcome back to episode 166 of the archaeology show. We're talking about ancient surgery. Before we do that, be sure to head over to arcpodnet.com slash something. I don't know. I'll figure it out. <laughs> you, you have a website, right? I do have a website. <laughs> arcpodnet.com. If you click on the hamburger icon, which is like the little menu icon, if, you're, if your system's all squished up and you're on your phone, or if you're on the website and it's all spread out, look at the shop icon and then there's affiliates down there. We have some pretty good affiliates and there's one that hopefully you're going to hear an ad about soon, if not on this show. 
for motion. Mm-hmm. Motion is something that's been changing our lives. It's really kind of a, it's more than a calendar scheduling tool. It's more of a task manager that's using AI to plan your day for you. Yeah. Sounds crazy, cool. but it's actually true. Yeah, it's and, cool. Yeah, the APN gets a little kickback if you use our link, but you also save money as well. So anyway, check that out. Check out our affiliates and everything else at arcpodnet.com. Okay, so last segment here. Let's talk about a few cool examples that we found of some just some neat things that people have done in the past. And these are actually also related to some relatively recent news articles that were Mm -hmm. out. So we're going to save one of these for the bonus. Mm -hmm. So if you're a member, go over to your member page, arcpodnet.com slash members to see how to sign up. But also, once you're on there, there's the members link and you can just click on bonus stuff. I think it's just bonus content Mm -hmm. and uh, check out the final segment. The first thing we'll talk about is a prosthetic toe, not surgery per se, although... But the the result of surgery, yeah, kind well, of? I don't actually know because they were really focusing on the prosthetic and mm-hmm. I, I couldn't find the, the original paper, but do we have evidence maybe that the toe was amputated or was the toe oh. lost in a thing or was it just like maybe they were born with a birth maybe. defect? Like, I have no idea, right? Yeah, so. yeah. But there's no reason why a prosthetic toe couldn't have been the result or the not the result of surgery what am i trying to say well it just augments the after the surgery yeah yeah. prosthetic is not surgery no it's what you do afterwards to help somebody gain a a semblance of living yeah exactly so it very well could have been related to a surgery yeah it could have been could have been now this is from luxor egypt and it's known as the cairo toe or <laughs> what's even better the grenville chester great toe i'm not really sure <laughs> oh my god what's going on there that's three, fantastic three thousand years old wow yeah now it's thought to be the earliest prosthesis ever discovered mm-hmm. and a recent look using microscopy x-rays and computer tomography which is basically just mapping mm-hmm. the 3d scans that all that basically produced identified the materials the prosthesis was made from and how it was crafted oh that's cool and and here's this thing gets gets really kind of cool here in a minute this was refitted several times to exactly match the woman's foot now how could they know that it was refitted several times i think because from what i was looking at it there's actually a bunch of articulating pieces of this thing which we'll get to in a second that's a that's an important point to this Uh this actual prosthesis right and it probably it it was probably had different adjustment points where maybe different things were sewn together mm. and stuff like that and it was like altered or changed. Oh, okay. Now they're saying refitted, but that also could mean it just like broke and they had to put it back together again. Yeah, it could. You know, something like that. But, but I mean I, I know somebody who has a prosthetic oh, leg. Yeah, yeah. And he is he he was was constantly going back to the doctor to have it repositioned, refitted, just because like over time like small discomforts will happen. And it just needs to be It's like a pair of shoes. Your shoes wear out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, why wouldn't your prosthetic wear out? Yeah, yeah, there was that. And then also the the favorite, his favorite, he would still have to have refittings done because, you Mm -hmm. know, just over time things change and whatever. So, yeah. And one of the things they saw in here, as opposed to other prosthetics in the archaeological record, which range from, I mean, literally they found like gold or like bronze 
legs and stuff like that <laughs> that somebody would wear. Right. right. Clearly a prosthesis, but also not a functional one. No. That would be more for somebody who's rich to sit there on their throne or chair right. and just like not have a missing leg. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you can't walk around with no. a gold leg. That would no. be absolutely insane and heavy. Exactly. <laughs> but there's other things too. Like they, they've seen prosthetic toes and things like that before. Not not before this one. This is one of the earlier ones, but mm-hmm. but since even that were again not very functional and probably not that comfortable. Again, a lot of the prosthesis seemed to, uh, of course, your, your lower classes, so to speak, are not going to be able to afford something like this. Right. But so this is really more for the upper classes, and a lot of the prostheses early, early on were thought to have just been so they don't look weird. Yeah. You know, they can still wear a shoe. They, you know, they can put something on it or if it's an arm or whatever the case, but, but it was very not functional. Mm -hmm. This one, however, has a lot of like articulating little pieces and they're pretty sure that the person, the woman who wore this was high status and, could just like walk around with yeah, it on. Like and it would probably with little discomfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a real, and it was just like her, it looked like it was just her big toe mm-hmm. on her right foot, I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and maybe the toe right next to it. So. so was it made of like wood or something like that? It looked like leather. Oh, like leather. Like okay. Leather and wood that was like sewn together. Okay. So, but materials that would decompose unless they're preserved super well. Well, I mean, this is the Egyptian desert. She was mummified, mm-hmm. put into a tomb like everybody oh, was. Okay, so it's with the mummy. And yeah, and so we we there's excellent preservation down there for that kind of stuff. I'm just curious why we don't see more examples of this if it was something that was done commonly. It makes me wonder if it wasn't a common practice and it's an unusual situation and we just happen to have a really good example of it. Well, or if it was it's bad bad preservation. That means is why yeah. we don't have other examples. I mean, here's the thing. This thing would have taken a lot of skill and artistry to create because mm-hmm. not only do you have to understand human physiognomy mm-hmm. to be able to put this thing together and understand what the toe is for and mm-hmm. how people walk and, and to be able to make adjustments and listen to the patient and, and, yeah. and, you know, like craft what they actually need for their foot. Right. But all of that would have been a massive expense and that person who is able to do that or people would have been in limited supply and mm-hmm. limited only to the elite. Yeah, yeah. And how often do the elite lose toes? Right. Probably not that often. <laughs> right, right. Right? Like how did this even happen, you know? Like she fall down a pyramid, like how, you know, like what was going Gangrene. on? <laughs> right, probably something. Right. Probably a crocodile bite. I yeah, don't even I, know. You don't even know. This could be one of the treatments. <laughs> So totally. Anyway, it was just really cool. The link is in the show notes. They've got an awesome picture of it. Yeah, that picture is really cool. I mean, it looks like something like if I lost my toe today. Like you could strap that on and walk around. Why not have fun with it? Yeah, totally. Just have fun with your your (laughs) amputation and and use something ancient and fun. That would be super cool. It's all the prosthesis today. I mean, they range from... Uh, to be honest, kind of boring, just like plastic pieces, uh-huh. to really kind of space agey, cool. Oh looking yeah, things. like the ones that are meant for running. Oh my god, are so cool looking. <laughs> those are just like those are wacky. Yeah, that's amazing. But yeah, why not just like occasionally put something steampunky or like early Egyptian on? <laughs> I would totally do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't want to have an amputation, so I don't want to just like make that happen. But no. But if I did, I would a hundred percent have fun with it. Like if I was missing my hand or something like that, especially my left hand, I would have an attachment for like an Apple pencil stylus. <laughs> <laughs> so I can just do whatever I need. So, all right. So let's go from Egypt all the way over to Peru, and it's it's about a thousand years later. Mm-hmm. But the Peruvians were also doing some cool things, and this they to were. me is 
I don't know if it's it's just a, a different way of thinking too. Mm-hmm. It's just a really cool thing. But two thousand years ago, a Peruvian warrior's skull sustained damage. Now it couldn't have been to me just like your average warrior. It had to be somebody important, probably because they yeah. they really tried to save this person. Yeah. Basically, their hole was essentially filled with a metal plate. That's so crazy. As a, as a repair. That is so yeah. crazy. Oh, and like the bone even fused around the yeah. plate so that you know that they had the procedure and there was healing right. and it was successful. They lived long enough for the bone to grow around the plate. That's so Yeah. Cool. And I was thinking, I, I don't know if the pictures are accurate in the article that I saw, if they're just like pulling stuff up or whatever, because mm-hmm. it looks like it's rusted, but they didn't have steel right yeah so it couldn't really have been rusted but it did say that often gold or some other precious metals were used Mm -hmm. you know so they'd have to make that out of like plate which is actually pretty good because i think gold is like naturally um, silver gold and silver yeah they're naturally um resistant to infection yeah they're antibacterial antibacterial yeah yeah silver definitely is i don't know about gold yeah but there's like some really expensive socks you can buy that have silver in them. Mm, don't, <laughs> for well, it's, anti, it's antibacterial. Oh, like. yeah, that's the reason. <laughs> yeah. Don't touch my $800 socks. Yeah. <laughs> So, and this is obviously essentially classified as trepanation because they had to, they, the hole was, it sounds like the hole was put there like by, by some kind of, some sort of battle injury, trauma. Yeah. yeah, either battle or training or something. Uh-huh. Um, I imagine if it were battle, you know, like how do you pull this guy off the battlefield and then do surgery on him? So um, I don't know. But anyway, so something like that happened and then they probably had to clean it out. It sounds, it looks like from the plate that they actually had to probably cut a little more bone away mm-hmm. and then, uh, and then affix the plate to to it now i don't wow. know how they they and we i don't think we would ever know this but they probably just like bandaged it in a way yeah I would and assume. just like waited for skin yeah and, probably a lot of maintenance on this thing yeah because yeah. like the skin would grow over it yeah to hold it in place well, and then the bone eventually yeah and they did. had like early poultices and stuff like that a, a, a thing that oh, they would put together with yeah. herbs and plants and stuff and probably smeared that over it uh-huh. you know which kind of worked may as, have done more bad than good depending on what it was i suppose although these people i mean they they had their healing techniques they learned what worked and what didn't work and humans are very resilient Mm -hmm. so they probably actually did have some pretty good natural yeah natural herbs and things to deal with it yeah for sure there was a study done by world neurosurgery in 2018 and the inca era this is just an interesting statistic the inca era success rate for trepanned patients was 80 percent. that's insane yeah now, i think that just means they lived long enough for us to see some sort of healing in the bone the healing right yeah right doesn't really say what their quality of life was no. Doesn't really say whether it like, cured them. Right. But they lived. They lived. Through the process. Which makes you wonder, because the Incan method tended to be the cutting out the rectangular chunk rather than trying to, mm-hmm. to bore a hole or do the drilled small holes or scraping or whatever like the other techniques are. So it makes you wonder if that like crisscrossed, like a hatch mark basically yeah. of uh, pulling the square out. Right. If that is like the best way to do it, maybe. I don't know. Well, let's crisscross the globe (laughs) and head over to London and talk about one more thing. And this was 4,000 years ago and really wasn't London. They're calling it London brain surgery because this this guy, Chelsea man, they're calling him, was Uh, found in the Chelsea area of London. Right. But he was found along the Thames and there's evidence of scraping on the skull, which we talked about earlier, Mm -hmm. obviously trepanation. Uh And 
the scraping was seen as a more advanced technique at the time than oh, drilling. Okay, drilling. I don't know why, but I would imagine drilling is just less oh, precise because you could just like you puncture, can puncture right through the brain. Yeah, I bet you're totally right. Yeah, and scraping is just more careful. It is more careful, but it takes a lot more time yeah. too. So you have to have a patient that you can keep subdued long enough to actually yeah. scrape it away. So that is really interesting. Right, and calling it brain surgery is a little. A little much because they yeah, were definitely not doing dramatic. anything to the brain. Right. We still barely understand the brain. Yeah, so. it was it was basically just yeah. the pressure relief or whatever mm-hmm. it was that they needed a hole in the skull for. Yeah, but basically scraping when done by somebody who has either done this before or knows what they're doing and has a, a steady hand, mm-hmm. you know, really careful scraping and, you know, even possibly with a local anesthetic because there were things you could... You know, herbs and things you could put on your body to numb the area. Oh, stuff okay. like that. Sure. So that could yeah. have helped. Yeah. Or maybe just alcohol, but I don't know if they had alcohol in that area <laughs> four thousand years ago. Or in the kind of like yeah. levels you would need to make somebody pass out. Right, right. <laughs> actually, and alcohol would be really bad because it, it thins your blood, so it actually makes you bleed more. So well, they would have known that. They wouldn't have known that, but out yeah. with observation over time sure. they might have seen that that's actually like a really bad yeah. idea. Anyway, Doing it slow and methodically, uh, and there's evidence of that because if it's, mm-hmm. you know, you can see the scraping happening, you yeah. know, so, but anyway, after the pressure was relieved, it could have been filled with uh, dried leaves or bark. And then this, crazy. I know, and this patient in particular lived for a few years after that surgery, um, like, at least. Like, walk me through that, though. Like, you fill it with dried leaves, bark, <laughs> some kind of poultice, like you said. Does it just... Where does it, do you have to go back in well, like, and pull it out after it heals a little bit? Like, how does that work? I mean, I'm sure some of that would just like stay in your head, but. Uh, but that can't be good, right? Well, it can't be, but it's better than dying. Well, right? Yeah. 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 So anyway. Oh, crazy. The yeah. whole, just like anything to do with like the brain and the head is just. Yeah. It makes, it makes me, ugh. it's like, yeah. gives me that icky shiver, you know? It's pretty gross. Yeah. So. But that's what led to, you know, modern practices that we have today. Yeah. It also human ingenuity is amazing and the things that they learned how to do. And the fact that trepanation is a technique that you see all across the world, meaning different cultures and different times developed it. It's just so cool that humans could come up with like that as a solution for medical issues. And if you're one of those people that shuns Western medicine and modern medical practices, I would be more than happy to scrape a hole in your skull (laughs) if you got a headache. So (laughs) let's meet up, use some ancient Chinese, European, British, African, Egyptian, Native American medicine. Pick your ancient medicine poison. (laughs) They all did it. They all did it. (laughs) I will rub some leaves on it when I'm done. (laughs) And I, I swear you will be in... You will you know, be cured. You will be in a different condition than when you arrived. <laughs> that is my guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! All right. Well, I'm not the... sure that we've mentioned this before, but we're like pretty skeptical people. Uh, so I think it's come out. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so as mentioned, we're going to have a bonus segment, so check your member content, and we're going to talk about where syringes came from. Yeah, And I some of the first people story. to do this. Yeah, yep. there's actually two different origin stories for syringes, and we'll talk about that in the bonus segment. For everybody else, I mean, go be a member. Yeah. We, we could really use them. Yep. Hey, we're going to start running a, a contest here at some point, too. I'm, I'm going to run this as an ad, so it's more dynamic and not in the old shows. Yeah, so don't skip the ads. Don't like, skip the ads. Listen to it, because it's a contest. Yeah. 
But uh, the contest is going to be for, we're going to include membership and social media promotion. So, but it's going to be for winning a screen, like yeah. a screen for using, doing archaeological work. And if you're not an archaeologist, you can still use that screen in like the garden and for separating materials <laughs> and maybe just doing some local archaeology in it, your backyard. Yeah. Stuff as long like as it's that. private property. Yeah. But there's a company that's, that's offering us one to send directly from them to one of our winners. So yeah. keep your eyes or ears, I should say, peeled for that. Mm-hmm, well, definitely. your eyes too probably put some ads I mean, up. you guys all show up to an archaeological project with your own shovel or your own trowel, right? Why wouldn't you want to show up yeah. with your own screen? Yeah. Makes total sense. Exactly. So, and again, good for non-archaeologists as well for lots of different things around the house. Yeah, it's good. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, you could probably put like cookie dough in it and oh, then God. like push it through and make these little cookie dough straws. <laughs> you know, maybe you could jam some potatoes through oh it, make some God. french fries. I don't think I'm not really sure. <laughs> you got to sharpen the mesh to like. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a quarter inch. It's good for lots of things. Oh. You know what's not good for lots of things? This show. We'll be back next week. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, Dig Tech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for listening. Please consider joining our growing core of members over at archpodnet.com slash members. If you liked what you heard, consider leaving a review wherever you're listening to this. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.